morning on Mother's Day. Unfortunately, it's a very dreary Mother's Day. And I'm actually feeling kind of weary, so you may have shown up feeling a little dreary and weary. Even my outfit is kind of blah because I needed something warm to wear. Um, tried to jazz it up with a fancy headband. Um, but I hope everybody here, not just the mothers, will draw some refreshment today from what I have to share with you and just some things that I have learned the past year or two. But I wanted to start off asking you a question. Um, my guess is the answer is yes, but have you ever been in a conversation where you start talking about one subject and maybe five, ten minutes later you're talking about something completely different and you're like, how in the world, even ask yourself, how do we get from talking about this to talking about this? And you go and you try and dissect the conversation, right? Well, we first talked about that, and oh, we made a connection there, and, and then you realize, oh, that's how we went from subject A to subject Z. So for today, I wanted to start off talking about something that you may think, what in the world does this have anything to do with Mother's Day? So uh, just bear with me, and I hope you'll see the connection. In the Bible, there's something called, in the New Testament, the Jerusalem Collection. Is anyone familiar with what that is in the New Testament? So it's kind of a, a something that's not really discussed much at church, but it's actually in the book of Acts, Romans, and First and Second Corinthians. And it's basically Paul, when he was ministering and sharing the gospel at the Gentile churches, as he was traveling throughout all these different towns, Macedonia, Achaia, Berea, Thessalonica, Derbe, Philippi, Throughout Asia, he was soliciting funds from the Gentile churches. He was sharing that the believers in Jerusalem had a need, that they were struggling financially for a variety of reasons. And, he, and these were Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and he was asking the Gentile churches, could you send money to support these struggling believers? And he asked them, you know, basically, someone you have never met, are you willing to help them? So again, what does that have to do with Mother's Day? Well, I've been thinking a lot about that Jerusalem collection this past year. There's no record in Scripture. There was record that it was delivered to them, but there's no record that the people who received that ever went back and thanked those Gentile believers who gave the funds. It just wasn't logistically possible. So basically, these Gentile believers gave without expecting anything in return. And that's what was really challenging to me. So they gave with no strings attached. And that's really the title of my message today, is how do we love other people with no strings attached, with no expectation of return? And so I started asking myself, do, do I give without expecting anything in return? And I'd have to say, if I were to be fully honest, I feel like I'm constantly giving, constantly sacrificing on myself. But at the same time, I do have a strong desire for that recognition. I have a strong desire to be appreciated you know, with what I think I deserve or what I need. This can be true in my mothering, when you give and give and you don't get much back. This can be true in what I call my daughtering. Right now I'm very intensely involved in the care of my mother. Um, and I'll talk more about that later, but that's what I've been wrestling with um, the last year or so. So I want to start off today by looking at a passage from Luke. And it talks about this idea of loving unconditionally without expecting anything in return. So let's look together at that. This is from Luke chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. 
do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners who love those who even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. And here's the key verse. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in this passage, if you look back into it, it describes various acts of service. It talks about loving people, doing good to people, blessing them, giving to them. In essence, it's summing up the second greatest commandment, which is loving your neighbor as yourself. So when I use the word serve today, I'm not talking anything formal. I'm really just talking about the things we do for another person's benefit, pure and simple, what we do for another person's benefit. Serving is the loving response to seeing a need or being informed of a need. So when I started thinking about this, what are the ways that we serve, I kind of, kind of fell into two categories in my mind. There's two ways that people can serve one another. And you can look at it through the lens of the recipient. So the reci- when service is anonymous, the recipient obviously is unaware of the giver. And that's what we see in the Jerusalem collection that I mentioned earlier, right? So they gave. They have no idea who's going to get it, and the recipients didn't know who gave. Um, so that would be service being anonymous. I thought of where have I seen that in my life or in the life of the church here. I recently made a meal for a family at my, my child's um, elementary school. There was a family who was in crisis. I didn't even know who the family was. I signed up on this thing online. I made them a meal. Never got a thank you, but that's totally fine. I just felt God prompted me to do that, and I gave anonymously. Operation Christmas Child, right? We package these boxes up every year. We have no idea who they're going to. We have no expectation of thanks from them. We've all done, what have we done here? The women have made meals for people in our community. So we work for hours. We make these nutritious meals. We don't know who they're going to end up with, but we're happy to do that. We also have Generosity Sunday coming up. The elders did not ask me to plug this, but this is another opportunity, in a sense, to give anonymously. You're giving into a general fund. You don't know how it's going to be used. If you gave last year to Generosity Sunday, did you have any idea that it was going to go to Pete and Misha today? No, right? You gave because God prompted you to give with no expectation of a thank you. So, and, and then the other thing with today for Mother's Day, what are we doing? We're doing a church collection, or basically taking our money and giving it to the team moms at Christ's home. Does anyone think one of the team moms is going to call them and thank them? No. We do that with no expectation of a return. So in this, in many ways, serving anonymously is easier, right? It's less messy. It's less personal. You see a need. God moves you to fill that need. And you have joy in your heart knowing that you bless somebody. It's less complicated because you're not expecting a thanks, and also because your motives tend to be more pure. If we don't serve or give or love for recognition, but rather we do it just to meet a need. 
And the interesting thing is, if we do get a thank you, it's completely unexpected, and you're thrilled, right? Like one, two different times, we got letters from Africa for people who received our Operation Christmas Child boxes. That was thrilling, because we completely did not expect that. So that's one way. We, when service is anonymous and the recipient is unaware of the giver. The second way, and this is what we'll focus on this morning, is when service is known, the recipient knows who the giver is. So while the Jerusalem collection idea got me thinking of giving with no expectation of thank you, I also realized more often than not our service is not anonymous, but it's known. The recipients of our service know who acted on their behalf. And I think this is where I get myself into trouble. Maybe if you're honest, you'll get yourself into trouble as well. And what I've been wrestling with. So basically, if I can give without expectations in anonymous situations, shouldn't I have that same attitude of service when I give in situations where my service is known and seen by others? I have to say, as a mom, it's easy to go off on a rant. Anyone here can relate to that. Sometimes the rant is verbal. Sorry, there's a fly going around here. Um, sometimes it could be verbal, sometimes it's just in your head, right? And you're like, I do this, I do this, I do this. All day long I, and you can fill in the blank. And what thanks do I get, right? Sometimes we say that, sometimes we think it. Um, or regarding my care for my mom. You know, I do so much for her, she's completely unaware of. And I battle in my mind and, and I think, you know, all I want is a little thanks. Is that too much to ask? So these are the things that go on in my head. And I know... They're not God-honoring, but on the other hand, I'm struggling with it, which means I'm, I'm trying to, to do, do this in a way that pleases God. So that's just kind of where I'm at. Um, so I wanted to talk about the, what are the kind of reactions we get. When we serve people, I kind of felt like there were three different categories, ways that people respond to our acts of service. The first one is what I call the tinted window response. Does anyone have tinted windows on their, their car? So basically, this is, if you look at the tinted window, you can't see anything in that car, right? All you see is a reflection of what's outside. So I think of this, this is somebody who might look at something you did, and they literally only see themselves. They don't see what you did, what, what effort you put in. They just see me, 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 my needs, and they're very self-focused. So now if the person would take the time, they could walk up. Do you ever do this? You're trying to say, oh, no, did I leave my purse in the car? And you walk up and you look through the tinted windows. And if you look close enough, you can actually look through that and see. But this type of person doesn't do that. They look at the tinted window, and all they see is their own reflection, and they, they're very self-focused. And sometimes, instead of even appreciating something we've done, they even criticize us for what we've done. So let's be honest. I think much of parenting is like this. <laughs> they don't see what you do. They only see what they lack. Um, and it can lead to a lot of frustration on the part of parents. So let's give an example. A child comes home from school. There's a basket of clean laundry in the room to put away. The room, maybe the rug has been newly vacuumed. There's some fresh cookies just baked on the countertop. Anyone have a house like this? <laughs> so just imagine a child walks in, they see all these things that were done for them, but it's like it's like nothing. Nothing was done, and they immediately go to, but I need this. Did you do this? I asked you to do this for me. And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? That's the tinted window response. <laughs> and if we're honest, we have treated other people that way, right? People have served us, and we're completely oblivious, and we focus on our own needs sometimes. So we don't want to rail too hard on our kids here. The second type of response people can have to our active service is what I would call the iceberg response. So like an iceberg where you only see the very tip of it, this is the person who sees a bit and they express some level of thanks for what you've done, but 
it comes off as kind of weak or paltry or insufficient. You're realizing you're only seeing, they're only seeing a small fraction of what you've done, and you might feel a little cheated, feeling like, man, that wasn't very much of a thanks, right? And you feel a little cheated from their appreciation. Um, and again, this obviously can be the case in mothering and all sorts of relationships. Um, this, is, this particular one is one I've struggled with with, with my mother. Um, she, uh, <laughs> so there, there are ma many occasions um, where I would go and visit my mom in a hospital or, or do something for her, and I would show up, and I could only stay an hour, and she makes me feel bad because I have to leave, and I'm like, you have no idea what I have been doing five hours before I came here. I've been on multiple phone calls. I've been paying your medical bills. I shot for you because you asked me for something. Like, like you, all you see is I came to the hospital for an hour, and you thank me for and think it's not very much. And it's easy to get angry inside, right? Because you feel like you're not, you're, what you did is not being recognized. And I almost want to, like, enumerate all I did and demand that she thanks me. Well, that, well, that wouldn't be a very genuine <laughs> thank you anyway if I did that. Fortunately, I've, I have enough wisdom to not do that. But I do think it in my head, and I'm just being honest, I do struggle with that. The third type of response somebody can give to our service is what I call the Coke bottle response. So while it's made of glass and it's not totally transparent, it's pretty easy to notice what's inside, right? So this is a person who has a true desire to see what you've done for them, to understand the effort you put in and to, to give a genuine thank you for what you've done. While they may not fully get it, you walk away from them feeling affirmed and feeling thankful that you had the opportunity to bless them. And their, their thanks can feel sweet, kind of like drinking a Coke, right? They can feel sweet, and you walk away. So I want to point out that while we, re we have received all three of these responses, we probably have all also given these types of responses to other people. And it got me thinking, too, like, how do we respond to God? God has done so much more than we can ever imagine, ever conceive. So there are many times we completely miss what God has done for us, like a tenant window response. There are times when we thank him, but it, it's so little compared to all that he's done. And there are other times maybe we get it a little better than other times. So I thought it was an interesting spiritual analogy there. So let me get to the good news because up till now I've been feeling a little depressed. This is <laughs> something I struggle with on a regular basis, but there is good news here. But what I want to say is the good news is regardless of how someone responds to you, in the end it really shouldn't matter. Because that, that's not the goal of why we serve them. You know, whether someone genuinely appreciates us, gives us a weak thank you, or completely misses it, that is not and should not be the goal of why we serve them. You know, we're doing a series, right? We're in the middle of a series now, Questions Jesus Asked, right? So imagine Jesus asking you when you're serving somebody, why are you doing it? Is it to gain appreciation or recognition? Or is it simply to love unconditionally as I have loved you? When I've been frustrated and underappreciated, I've often asked myself, am I willing to serve this person, this child, my mother, who never seems quite satisfied, who often misses all I do for them, regardless of their response? Am I willing to do that? That's really hard sometimes. So I just want to emphasize that there's a big difference between enjoying appreciation and gratitude from others and needing it or craving it. I'm going to say that again. So there's a big difference 
between enjoying appreciation and gratitude from others and needing it or craving it. And I, th I think that's an important point. It's okay. It's okay to enjoy when people appreciate us, but we shouldn't need it or crave it. That's not where our significance could, should come from. As we grow in good deeds, we must learn to grow in our enjoyment of the Lord's appreciation more than anyone else's. We must learn to be content knowing that God sees, and that's really all that counts. Now, I do want to talk about our feelings, though. In the end, our feelings could be true. It could be true that others don't recognize or appreciate what we've done. It could be true that others actually do the opposite, and we try to do something good, and they criticize us. That could be true. It's okay to observe that. That's just reality. I'm not saying that's not reality. But I want to encourage you, they don't stop at those feelings. It's really easy to get stuck in that feeling and to fixate it. And I can tell you, it can steal your joy. It can poison your heart. So we must push past those feelings, and we need to kind of go back to square one and ask ourselves yet again, why am I serving? And when we do that, our focus should be on Jesus because he's the one who is loved unconditionally. And remember that what he did, what all his goal, what was Jesus' goal? Was to please the Father. That was his only goal. I came to do what my Father sent me to do. And that, that should be our goal. Our only goal should be to please our Father. The Bible says that uh, when we were, um, it says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So basically, he exhibited the no-strings-attached kind of love. We were dead in our sin. We had nothing to offer, and he loved us. Now, if God could love us when we're dead in our sins, surely we can love others when they're being difficult, when they overlook what we've done, when they're blind for what we do for them. If God can love us in such a great way, we should be able to love others in a much more minor way in comparison. So why did Jesus come? As I said, he came to do the will of the Father, in Jesus' own words, he also said that he came to serve. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus came to serve others. And it's interesting to note that Jesus did not seek recognition for many of his own miracles. There's just a few examples. Matthew 9.30, there were two blind men, and he, and he did not want them to go and tell people what he did. Mark 1.44, there was a leper that he healed. In Mark 7.36, there was a deaf mute. Same situation. So Jesus was not looking for recognition for what he did. He simply was trying to do what his father was directing him to do. I want to read another small portion of scripture, which kind of echoes a bit of the Luke passage that we read earlier. So this is Matthew 6, 1 to 4. And it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father sees what is done in secret uh, and will reward you. So basically, Jesus makes it clear that if you seek recognition here, um, you get your reward here. Your reward is not in heaven. It's here. And your reward is what? The praise of other people. And there's actually no really real reward at all, right? It's superficial and it's temporary. So for Jesus, it's all about intent. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we serving? 
when we expose or make known our good deeds to others, why do we do that? So why don't we just leave it anonymous? Why do we have to expose and, and identify things that are people? Are we seeking God's glory or are we seeking our own? So simply put, we are called to love one another without fanfare and without what I would call our marching band response, right? So in our passage it says, you know, when you give to the board, don't sound a trumpet before you. So you see these trumpet players, okay? So it's kind of like somebody does something for you, but they keep bringing it up, you know, and they keep wanting you to thank them over and over again. That is not what God's asking us to do. He's asking us just to simply give and let whatever comes after that be under his control. So don't expect a marching band response. <laughs> God sees, and that should be enough. And I know in a lot of times this is easier said than done, uh, as I've seen in my own life. Um, so I have to say, as I regularly evaluate my own life, my efforts to love my mom and my children and others, I have to be honest and say I've had both successes and failures in this whole subject of loving people with the right intent. For me, it's literally, I'm not exaggerating, it's literally a daily battle. I'll give a quick example. So the phone rings. I know it's my mom. She has a particular ringtone I put for her. <laughs> and my first thought is, what now? <laughs> and I have about three seconds to get my heart in the right place. So I have, in those three seconds, I have three choices. I can deliberately ignore her call because I don't want to deal with her. <laughs> I can answer the call and be unkind to her. Or I can answer and ask how I can help. And in order to do, one, to do the last one, I have to breathe a quick prayer, help me, God. And I do. The phone rings. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Okay, help me, Lord. And then I, I answer the phone, and most of the time, God helps me. So that's just a, just a real practical example of what I mean, of what I'm talking about. So when we're called to serve, we need to choose how we will do so. Will we do so begrudgingly, partially, and completely? with minimum effort, or will I extend myself like God has extended himself to me? And how has Jesus loved me? He has loved me with great joy, not begrudgingly. He has loved me completely, not incompletely, and he has loved me sacrificially with the, the utmost of effort. So the bad news is I can't conjure up that kind of love on my own. I can't love others like Jesus loved me. It's just too hard. I am weak, and I am sinful, and I cannot do this in my own strength. But the good news is I can do this with, the kind of unconditional, with this unconditional love if God's Holy Spirit is living in me, and he empowers me to do so. And that really, that is, that is such good news that we can overcome these things, and we can love like Jesus loved others by his power. So... The, the word gospel, as many of you know, actually means good news, right? So to me, that, that is the good news of the gospel. And the gospel is that the Bible tells us that God is love, and our Heavenly Father loved us in the most perfect way by sending his son to die on our behalf. He paid the penalty for all this junk in our life that we regularly experience. Why? So we could live in right relationship with him and right relationship with other people. But we realize how far we fall short from his standard. Every day I struggle. I, I imagine you would too. We have not lived a life of love for God and others. There are many times we've tried to live without God and we've failed miserably, right? And this is called sin, running away from God, trying to do things our own way and our own strength. 
But again, the good news of the gospel is this. We recognize that we need help. We need remedy for our sin and brokenness. And when we admit our sin, when we admit our struggle, when we say, God, I can't do this, he offers us forgiveness. He cleanses us. And then the, the icing on the cake, he didn't just die on a cross. He rose again to give us new life. So when he's living in us, he empowers us to live the life here that he desires us to live. And he enables us by his Holy Spirit to live in a way that pleases him. So I was thinking of a, an analogy, like how would that better uh, illustrate what I just shared? And I thought of a small child who is fiercely independent. Does anyone have a child who just like has to do everything on their own? And they know way, way better than you do as a parent. So think of a child like that. So I think you have a little, uh, well, there's a little boy in this picture, okay? So you, they are so convinced they can do anything on their own that actually is completely outside the scope of their ability, right? So it's like, a, in this case, a little boy who thinks he can bake a cake, okay? He says, I can do it myself. And he pulls the bowl out and he pulls the ingredients out. And all of a sudden he reaches a wall. He's like, I don't know what to do. And he's completely incapable of doing what he set out to do. So his intent was good. He wanted to make a cake, but he was completely incapable of doing it. So what happens? The mother steps in, and she does it for him. They do it together, and they have that sweet relationship of doing that together. And what happens? A delicious cake is produced, not because of the efforts of that little boy, but because of the efforts of the mom. And that's a little, little bit of an example of the gospel. We cannot love other people with the way God intends us to love them. Only he has to come in and do what we can do for ourselves. So let's go back to the idea of intent. So our desire to be appreciated by the recipient should never be the goal of our service. Our intent, our goal, should only be to bring glory to God in all circumstances. We should ultimately recognize that what we do for others is actually ultimately done unto God. And here's a few verses that support that idea. So Matthew 25, 40 in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to who? The Lord. We don't give the Lord money. But he's saying when we are kind and do things for other people, we do it unto the Lord. And he will reward them for what they have done. So what we do for our children, what we do for our spouses, what we do for our parents, what we do for our friends, what we do for anybody is ultimately done unto Jesus. And this is a sobering thought, if you think about it. And it should give us pause to really look at the intent on why we're serving. And do we have a humble attitude to do this in Jesus' name? And we should never serve as a means to get our own affirmation met. It's critical to have a vital relationship with God and get our significance from him, not from the, the applause and approval of others. That way, when we love others, I love this, when we love others, we want nothing from the recipient other than the opportunity to love them more, other than the opportunity to love them again. But again, let's be honest again. Sometimes we're hurt, right? We aren't appreciated. Someone who's important to us. It's essential, though, that we take that hurt to God. And I've had to do this myself time and time again, especially the past two years as I've cared for my mom. Um, as we just studied in our latest Bible study, we did a, a whole study in the book of Numbers. And in that book, the people complain over and over again to Moses, and they complain about his leadership. And it was interesting because all Moses did was serve them humbly. In fact, Numbers 12, 
3 says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. So he served them. He loved them well. And what did the people do? They just complained about his leadership. And so you read very little about the people appreciating Moses. You just read a whole bunch about them complaining about Moses. But what did Moses do? He didn't, like, shout back at them and, you ungrateful, whatever. He took his frustrations to God. And that's what we need to do. And I love this. I'm going to read this passage from Numbers 11, a couple of verses. It mimics some of my own prayers to God recently. So here's a portion of that. And this is from the version of uh, the message. Um, I thought I'd put it in a little more of the vernacular here. So Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother, carrying them all the way to the land you promised to your ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me, give us meat, we want meat? And this is the part that stands out. I can't do this myself. It's too much. All these people. If this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. <laughs> and I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. I'm like, that is real. He was feeling so, like, judged unfairly, so unappreciated. He took it to God, and he expressed that to God. And that's okay. Take your frustrations to God. And I've said that myself. That sounds like one of my prayers. Just kill me now, Lord. <laughs> I want out. I've had enough. And that's, God says, keep going. You're doing a great job. It's interesting to note, after this, like immediately after this in Scripture, God appointed 70 elders to help Moses because it just really became too much for him. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you, you yourself, I learned, I need to be an emotionally healthy and stable place myself in order to keep caring for my mom, which is why we ultimately moved her to an assisted living place this last month. Um, but I still do so much for her. Just ask my kids if you don't believe me. Um, so the loving her unconditionally, continuing to serve her without expecting thanks continues. So when you serve without appreciation, these are three possible feelings you might have. You might feel really lonely. Like, people don't see. I'm not noticed. But I love Psalm 139, if you get a chance to read it. It just talks about God sees. God sees all of this, right? You might think it's unfair. Why do I have to keep doing this and nobody else is helping, right? Reminds you of Peter and John before uh, Jesus went back up to heaven. And Peter's like, what about John? And Jesus is like, Peter, you worry about what I've given you to do. You may feel useless. You may think I keep serving and serving and nothing is coming of it. And God says, no, I will, you will reap a harvest of righteousness if you do not give up. So let me look at this is the point where I really wanted to hit home. This is about how does God bless us when we serve others without expecting recognition. And I'm going to go back to the verses in Luke. So in Luke 6.32 it says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great. So the whole law is summed up with loving God and loving others as ourself. And we are told in many places in the Bible that blessings will follow obedience. So when we love others unconditionally, blessings we will receive in return. Here's another passage I love, Proverbs 11. And this is from, again, the, the, um, the message version. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Here's a key verse. Those the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who, help those who help others are helped. 
So what is a blessing? A blessing is a special favor, mercy, or benefit. It's what we receive from God when we faithfully obey him. So there's often not a direct correlation between what you do and how God blesses you. Like just because you, you gave a bunch of money to an offering doesn't mean the next week you're going to have a windfall of cash, right? Just because you make a meal for someone doesn't mean the next week someone's going to arrive at your door with a meal. It's rather the idea of when you serve other people, God will bless you in unexpected, unknown ways. And a lot of times they're spiritual blessings, right? They're not tangible blessings. So it could be things like God gives us peace in hard circumstances. He gives us an eternal perspective to replace our earthly perspective. He gives us joy in serving others. He gives us contentment, a deep sense that he is enough. He gives us encouragement to keep pressing on and not give up. He gives us a greater understanding of his amazing love for us. So I wanted to, to illustrate what does it mean when God blesses us? How does this all tie into what I'm talking about? So I have some illustrations that my husband so kindly helped me put together for this PowerPoint. So if we could go to the first slide, Steve. Thank you. So basically this is how we view when we bless other people. So you have one person doing something kind for somebody else. And then what the, what's the world's view? Go to the next slide is we just expect, okay, they're going to thank us in return. And we think it's just this, you know, back and forth between two people relationship. But I like to propose that this is the biblical view of what it means to serve others and how God blesses us. So if you go to the next slide. So first of all, the, you receive from God, and he says he gives you both the will. Um, I think that was typed wrong, sorry. Um, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So God lets you see. He gives you a desire to do something. And then the next slide. And then he enables you to do it. He enables you to reach out and act on somebody else's behalf. And then this person said, Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we do something for them, we should not be expecting this arrow coming back, but we should pray that they would notice it and praise the Father in heaven, not praise us. And then finally, um, it talks about that they're not like supposed to be rain clouds or positive image, hopefully. It's how in the Old Testament, there's a lot of places that said that God sent rain, and it was like a spiritual, not just physical rain, but it was a spiritual analogy. When the Israelites obeyed God, God sent rain, and he blessed them in many ways. So that's why I thought the rain would be a good analogy how God blesses us at the end of that process. So if we put it all together here, this is what I believe the spiritual water cycle looks like. We've all learned about the water cycle at school, right? This is the spiritual water cycle. So God first comes down to us. He gives us the opportunity to see a need. He strengthens us. He enables to meet that need horizontally with a person. Hopefully that person praises God and not us for that. And then God rains down these blessings on us. But remember, just as the goal of serving others is not to be recognized and appreciated, it's also not to seek a reward or a blessing. So our goal, again, is to serve God and to love other people, not to say, oh, what blessing am I going to get out of this? So just, just to keep that in mind. But it is a spiritual fact that God blesses those who faithfully serve him. So just a few things to keep in mind as I end. Um, one, blessings may be different than you expect. And I just talked about that a bit. Sometimes God blesses us immediately. Sometimes it may take years to notice how he brought blessing out of something that was really hard. So I just encourage you, leave the timing and the method of blessing to God. Keep being faithful in the meantime, knowing that God will 
bless us, and we will reap what we sow. That's just not a negative statement, by the way. We reap what we sow in positive ways. Um, And I've already seen blessings I've gotten from the way I have loved my mother. I I have had tangible blessings. People have driven my mom places. They have given me meals when things have been especially hard. I've received cards of encouragement. I've had friendships I've strengthened because of the way they've supported me. I've had a closer walk with God because I am praying a lot (laughs) to really be able to love well. I have joy knowing that my kids see me serving sacrificially, and and I'm hoping, you know, they're learning some good lessons for themselves. And I expect there will be more blessings to come. The second thing that I'd like you to take away is we need to be givers, not expectors of thanks. So on the flip side of serving someone without expecting appreciation in return is also the call that God tells us to give thanks in all circumstances. So when God blesses us, it is good and right to express our thanks to God. And when others serve us, it is good and right to express our thankfulness to them. It's pretty obvious. But why are we so often negligent in thanking other people for their kind acts of service to us? Why do we give them a tinted window or an iceberg response? So why do we not more often offer a Coke bottle response and do our best to appreciate what they've done. I like how one commentator put this. They said, why is it that we often think thankful thoughts, but we don't express them with words? Are we afraid of looking foolish or weak? Are we too preoccupied with our own agenda to take the time to offer a word of encouragement? Are we concerned that giving too much praise to someone might inflate their pride? So here's your challenge today. Tell others in your life what you appreciate about them and why. It will bring fresh wind to their souls and spur them on toward love and good deeds. So then that that person can be the recipient or be part of that whole spiritual water cycle themselves. Third third thing to keep in mind, um, that it is appropriate to teach our children to express thanks. So we just saw a cute little video earlier, and I loved it, right? Thank you, Mom, for teaching me to, to be thankful, right? So I don't want you to misunderstand anything. Just like others, you know, we should love and serve our children just like we do other people in our life without expecting thanks. However, we do still need to train them in righteousness, and part of that is helping them to cultivate a thankful heart and, and giving them tools to express that. But I want you to keep in mind what I said earlier. There's a big difference between enjoying their appreciation and gratitude to craving it and needing it to be emotionally healthy. Do you guys see the difference? So we can, we can appreciate their appreciation, but let's not base our significance on that. Uh, the funny little thing, um, if people are familiar with Proverbs 31, talks about this amazing woman who no one can quite live up to. <laughs> She's an amazing wife, right? But tucked into that passage is something I've thought about, um, and that's in um, Proverbs 31, verses 28 and 29. And it says, Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. So I thought about this and wondered, at what age will my child rise up and call me blessed? (laughs) When will they tell me I've surpassed all others, right? When will they truly know this and thank me for all I've done? And and it's, it's pretty funny. I actually got to spend last night, my oldest son, Jacob, who's 25 and married, he took me out for a meal, just the two of us. It was wonderful to talk with him. And and we were talking, and I'm like, Jake, do you remember the times when Dad and I, we would, we, instead of going out on our date night, we would take you with us, and the three of us would talk, and we would talk about college and girls, and we would just, like, be intentional to have time with you. He's like, 
sort of, kind of vague. And I'm like, really? Like all the times we gave up our date night for you and you don't barely remember it. Um, Again, this is why you can't depend on other people to thank and praise you. They may not remember or whatever. But anyway, so he gave me a Mother's Day card. And it was really, this is the card he gave me last night. He said some really sweet words inside. And the verse that's inside, her children rise up and call her blessed. (laughs) So I'm like, God has a sense of humor. Because I was asking, will my children ever rise up and call me blessed? (laughs) So... So just to end with, remember we started off talking about the Jerusalem collection, right? Um, And how the Gentiles were asked to give without expecting thanks in return. Well, I wanted to to end with just a small portion of scripture, which comes right in the middle of that whole discussion of the Jerusalem collection. So keep that kind of Jerusalem collection topic in mind, because I think we're familiar with this passage, but maybe you didn't know that the context was this Jerusalem collection. So this is 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. For God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And there are four things this passage mentions. It says we need to sow our acts of love generously. This is kind of your charge for the day. Sow your acts of love generously. Check your attitude. Are we, are we being a cheerful giver? Three, remember that God will bless those who are generous. And four, while doing all of this, it says having all that you need, God will provide everything you need as you learn to love other people as he desires you to do so regardless of the response you get tinted window iceberg coke bottle keep pressing on loving others no strings attached with the goal to glorify god thanks if you join me and we'll pray together heavenly father thank you that your way is so much better than the world's way thank you that you loved us unconditionally in such amazing ways we're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you always give us second chances. Thank you that your mercies are new every day. So we ask, Lord, in your kindness, that you would help each one of us to have the right attitude of serving others, to not look for recognition, to be satisfied knowing that you see, Lord. Help us, Lord, to keep being people who give and help us to have thankful hearts for all that you have done for us. I pray this in your name. Amen.